Let's Connect podcast series is brought to you by Talent Talks and Life Online. Welcome. I'm Karen Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Talent Talks and Life Online. everyone. I'm joined again today by Dr. Corinna DeBrain, the director of JVR Academy, which is, of course, a company that specializes in customized solutions to develop critical workplace power skills. Together, we have been chatting through a number of power skills that are so important for individuals to develop if they are to remain relevant now and in the future. So welcome, Dr. Corinna. Good to have you back with us. Thanks, Karen. Fantastic. So, Karina, today we're focusing really on part four of our series, which is dealing with toxicity in the workplace. And I think this is such an important topic, and I can't wait to get your perspective on that. And just to begin with, what are some of how does somebody know that they're in a toxic workplace? What are the markers of toxicity in the workplace? Karen, if we think about the school playground. When the teacher sees one boy punching another one in the face, the behavior and the impact of that blow, which might be, let's say, a bleeding nose, is quite obvious. And it should be relatively easy to be able to deal with that according to the school rules. And on the same playground, there can be a lot of gossiping and the spreading of false rumors with an equally severe negative impact, maybe not a bleeding nose. But these behaviors often go under the radar and it is very difficult to deal with. And it happens also in the workplace. So some bad behaviors are obvious and very easy to observe if we think about physical bullying or sexual harassment. And of course, these behaviors are never acceptable and shouldn't be allowed. And the organization must have outlined HR policies and procedures of how to deal with this. However, when it comes to toxic behaviors, it's often more difficult to observe these and identify these because they are much more subtle and they're much more, much less obvious. But of course, just like physical bullying and sexual harassment, they can have very harmful effects. But the signs and symptoms of toxic relationships in the workplace are typically categorized as interpersonally deviant behavior. It's usually voluntary behavior that threatens the well-being of others through things like harassment or antagonism or incivility or other types of interpersonal abuse. And in a toxic work environment, employees are stressed. They find it difficult to work effectively. There are definitely communication issues in a toxic workplace. For example, people are not clear around projects or everyone is not included in the message, or everyone doesn't receive the same message. And there's, there's also very often a culture of blaming and gossiping and spreading rumors. And then the outcome of this is very often mistrust of leadership or mistrust between colleagues or among two, um, team members. You also see a high level of burnout or a high number of people who quit just after they've they've started, sometimes after they've just started in the job not too long ago. And so all of these behaviors lead to very negative lead to a very negative atmosphere. And we know that the colleagues, the supervisors, the company itself, or the company culture itself can be responsible for these behaviors. 
I think it's quite challenging, as you say, because it's largely unseen and it refers to a lot of the psychological impact that person shoulders the impact of that. But Karina, when we're looking at those markers, how, and I suppose this is always what makes it so difficult to judge, and I'm probably going to ask a very stigmatized question around this, but how does an individual know when they are dealing with somebody who is manipulating them or gaslighting them or exercising toxic practices versus an individual that may be insecure and feeling victimized just as a default almost. How do we draw that line? And of course, as leaders, how do we straddle that path? If you've got both employees presenting with these behaviors, how do you know? Yeah, it's when we deal with people, it's always complicated. But I think what we also have to look at is the impact of the behavior depends usually on the position and the corporate power of the toxic person. Very often the the toxicity comes from leadership. And we know that people's personalities and attitudes and habits and behavioral patterns really, they, they have an impact on this as well. But so some people obviously deal better with it, some individuals and some deal more. It's more difficult for them. So it's got different, a different impact on these people. But maybe before I talk a little bit about that impact and how you can make that distinction, it's just when I looked at the research, there's a lot of studies that indicated that this, for example, one study that indicated that 80 percent of workers are disengaged. So, you know, whether if such a large number of people are disengaged, it means that, yes, maybe some people can deal better with it, but actually it has a huge impact on all the individuals. Another study, for example, indicated that 56% of workers reported that they work for a toxic boss. So even although they know they are in a toxic environment and maybe some of them deal better with it, they realize it. And another study showed that about 75% of workers reported that the worst and the most stressful aspect of their job is uh, dealing with their Im- immediate supervisor. So there's, and there's so many different examples that, that we can talk about. But the individuals who really cope better with this are those ones who, who speak up, those ones who have a, are assertive and speak out, those persons who don't take these things very personally. But in the end, many of the people that actually cope relatively well with this also leave the organization. Absolutely. I can, yeah, and I think it's definitely not a nice environment to be in, and it just causes a lot of unnecessary stress. And besides the effects, we know the effects that stress has on the body, on the individual's psychological outlook on life or on their well-being. But what are some of the effects that this toxicity has on an individual in the workplace? And then if you could look at from an individual's perspective, what are the what are the effects that they will feel? But then also some of the effects that it will have on the team and the organization as a whole. When we based on our own workplace experiences, and again, when we look at the research literature, it all of those confirm the importance of healthy relationships at work and how these relationships actively support the health and the wellness and the productivity and the engagement of individuals. But unfortunately, if we regularly have to deal with a toxic colleague or a manager or work in a toxic company culture, that can create really a lot of distress and anxiety. And like you mentioned, not only impact the physical health of the person, but also the self-esteem 
and the overall well-being. Individuals withdraw. They don't bring their own ideas. They don't speak up about the situation. Having have to continuously operate in, in, in an environment where those relationships are negative can lead in the end to serious mental health issues and burnout. And the sad thing is, Karen, that very often these behaviours or these symptoms spill over to several other areas of life beyond work. So it really undermines the morale of the person and in the end, they actually want to leave the job. So that that's on the individual level. When we look at teams, now we know the individuals have to function in these teams, but we also know that healthy teams where there's a lot of resilience and trust and mutual, mutual support, they can help, they can compensate for these external sources of toxicity. But if the source of the toxicity is within the team, whether it's in a one member of the team, whether there's a small group in the team, that can definitely, the impact of that can be destructive to the team as well. And we know toxicity is contagious. It only takes one apple to ruin the whole barrel. If that happens in the team, there will definitely a breakdown in the resilience and the trust of the team and of course the performance. And we know that resilience and trust have been built over a period of time. So then it means it takes the team back to a place where they really have to start rebuild again. On an organizational level, we know that toxicity is often related to leadership behaviors. But we also know that the behavior of the leader or the team or the individual, if, if they are the cause of the toxicity, that can have a, a ripple effect throughout the organization. A common cold, it's contagious and it spreads quickly and then anyone can be a carrier. We know that rude workers have a stronger effect on the organization than civil workers. So the impact of toxicity is really severe. Uh, one toxic employee can wipe out the gains for, for more than two top performers. So there could be litigation fees. Low, if you think about the impact of that on the customers, you will have upset customers. It's really costly to the organization on various levels when we have these toxic behaviors in the organization. The interesting thing is we talk about organizations, but also in terms of the way that we currently work. So very often we think that toxicity only manifests in real life and non-virtual interactions. But people or employees will behave online very much as they do offline. In the, the current times, we do a lot of work online, virtual teams, all of those things. We must also realize that for the organization and for the team, it can also happen online. And it can also fester over prolonged periods of time. And the leaders, the organizations, individual employees all must look out for the warning signs of these toxic behaviors. I think that's so important. And I was actually going to ask, how does being in this hybrid world, how is that affected by toxicity? But some of the research indicates as well that people are a lot ruder when they have this barrier in terms of how they engage on social media platforms, etc. It's almost as though they allow themselves to develop a, a whole nother persona when engaging in that place. It's my assumption, incorrectly or correctly, is that it might actually exasperate it. But the only positive that could come from that is that perhaps it might be more seen or visible because there's almost a, a tool to track those conversations or engagements. 
you have the evidence that makes it makes it much better. But it's exactly what you say. We experience very often that there's a barrier between us. If I I can read something in it, if someone doesn't switch on his camera, if everyone in the team has their cameras on, and for no real obvious reason, someone doesn't switch on their camera. I sometimes wonder about that. Of course, we know there's these connectivity issues and there's this and there's that and there's a cat on the desk and all of those things as well. So it's really in the way that we work currently, it's maybe even a little bit, although it's easier to track communication and all those things, in the office, if you work in an open office, the behaviours are um, sometimes more visible, although we say it's not always that obvious, whereas with the more virtual way, it's in the way that we communicate that, that causes a problem. Absolutely. And it's so damaging to not only the individual, as you've explained, but also to the organisation as a whole. And I think what is really concerning is that in, it mostly is driven from that leadership tier a lot of the time. And I suppose that leads into my next question. When an individual or a person realizes that they are part of a toxic culture, what is their best course of action? How does one employee, and I know specifically at JBR Academy, you focus on a set of power skills. How do individuals use these? What can they do or what areas can they develop in to help them manage these situations better? Karen, I always say that knowledge about a situation or knowledge about what toxicity means is a good place to start. And I think if people realize in an organization that toxic personalities are often involved and organizational cultural elements are involved, and we don't really have control over those, we can't control other people's personalities or the results or the behaviors as a result of their personality. And it's very difficult to address these, but certainly there are things that we can control. And if we focus on building emotional and social skills, it really may assist people to be more resilient, to cope with the situation if they are in such a situation. And it may even sometimes empower them to realize that they don't have to stick it out in the environment, that they have to be assertive and find ways to get out of there and to have the courage to, to start a new journey elsewhere. So if we talk about the social and emotional skills, it's it would be typically skills that can help us to identify and process emotional information and apply it in reasoning and apply it in other cognitive activities to cope better with these things. It would include skills like self-awareness, realizing what does this environment do to me? How do I react to that? Where do I get the resources from to cope with this? We look at things like self-regard because what the impact of toxicity very often is, it impacts people's self-esteem and their self-regard. And they start, especially if no one else speaks up about this, they say, I'm the only one seeing this, so it must be me. We look at things like empathy, having empathy not only for um, other individuals, but also for the team and also having empathy for the organization. Impulse control, mood management. So all of these are essential in self-management and play an equally important role in how we manage our relationships to understand and manage the risk of toxicity in the workplace. Yeah, I think one of the things that you have touched on is the decrease in almost self-regard. And we know something that a lot of people are notoriously bad at are 
establishing boundaries and holding firm on those boundaries is often, especially in a workplace, you're more likely to flex those or to accommodate others' behavior. And again, not realizing that impact it's having on you. But also we are in a habit uh, traditionally across workplaces we're really bad at calling out negative behaviors in general, let alone toxic practices. What underpins that? Why are we so bad at calling out these behaviors? Is it more of an avoidance of conflict driving this or what is sitting underneath that? In many instances, people keep quiet because they don't want to become involved in conflict. They don't know how to deal with the conflict. And even on a high level, they fear retaliation. They fear litigation. So maybe it's sometimes even better to keep quiet. I think if people think they are the only ones who see these toxic behaviors, especially if senior staff don't, I want to say in inverted commas, don't see it, or if it's not obvious that they see it, and if they don't address it, then again, it must be something wrong with me, so let me rather keep quiet. What also happens is why some people don't call out these behaviors, they are getting drawn into the toxic behaviors, because like we said before, it's really contagious. So becoming part of that, and therefore, even although they may realize something is not right here, they become so part of that. And sometimes people, they just tolerate the situation because if I don't have a job, what do I do? And what are they going to do with me? So let me rather stay here and be unhappy, but at least I've got a job. And some people just hope that by ignoring toxic behavior, it may go away. And yeah, I don't think it really, it happens. But in a recent article in one of your Talent Talk magazines, there was an interesting article also about toxicity, Karen, and it was highlighted that from a leadership perspective, it's crucial to create a culture that allows for these difficult discussions to take place and where people who feel that they have important information or they have observations and if they have insight, people need to feel safe to and they need to feel assured that they can discuss these issues without being judged, without running the risk of losing their jobs. And they really need to be, we need to create a culture where people can be protected from those elements in the organization that almost force them to remain silent. Absolutely. And I think that leads into our next question and our final point of discussion for today is really, as you've mentioned, one of the key effects of a toxic workplace is this breakdown of trust. Now, for any leaders that are listening out there, if they are in this position where they've realized there are toxic practices at play, trust has been broken down in their team, where do they start? How do they start rebuilding this trust and creating this sense of psychological safety for their team to form that culture? Trusting and trustworthy relationships are really the backbone of business growth and success. And sadly, once trust has been broken, it's not always so easy to restore it overnight. But with the right commitment and the attitude and the effort and trying to facilitate a different kind of culture and using some skills, of course, it can be rebuilt. Although it may take quite a bit of time to do the groundwork again that had been destroyed, the, the groundwork that was done uh, right in the beginning of investing into the team. But we very often, when we are in a leadership position or when we are a team member or if we are you know, just an individual working in a small group, we often want to blame the other person or the party. But usually as a first 
it's always good to start by doing a little bit of introspection and working on managing ourselves. Maybe as a first step, actively take personal accountability for restoring the trust, whether you are in a leadership position or whether you're a team member, and not expect the other person or the organization to all of a sudden realize that they are responsible for the break in trust and therefore they need to change their behavior. And no matter how hard it sometimes is to admit to the fact that it always takes two to do a perfect and a messed up tango, we, we need to realize that maybe, maybe that we are also at fault here. If we want to restore trust, we have to first start by trusting other people. We need to have an open mind. We have to have empathy with the other person or empathy with the system or the team. And we need to try and see the other party in a different light. Also trusting that they really want to resolve the issue at hand. And then I think it's important to be open and have the courage to engage in the difficult, uncomfortable conversation. So it's important to be aware of your own biases and all of those things. But of course, you need to communicate your ideas and your thoughts as well. So we know that a lack of trust also very often impacts communication. So it's good to really look at your communication processes, starting by the obvious um, saying there is a lack of trust. How are we going to deal with this? Listen to the other person, find common goals. Yeah, and then also agree on how one would give feedback on changes that you see in the other person or the other person's behavior. And I think it's also important then to maybe as a last point, demonstrate your behaviors. So once you also realize that we are, we've spoken about the issues at hand, of course, you need to show some changes in your behavior and you need to commit to the things that you've agreed on during the difficult conversations. So show other person that you are really invested in this process of restoring the trust as well. And it's always important to remember that it's it's not only about you or your own wellness. Of course, it's about that as well, but it's rather about the well-being of the team and the organization. So sometimes you really have to stand back and admit to your own contribution to this. Again, whether you're a leader, whether you are part of a team, and you also look at your own role and take responsibility for building the trust. Yeah, I think your tips that you have given and the context that you have provided has certainly provided a lot of food for thought. And I think this is a, and it is a growing issue across organizations and something that leaders really need to be aware of and take really active steps to shift that culture before they start feeling a lot of these damaging impacts, not only to the organizations or to the teams, but also to the individuals themselves. Karina, I've so enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you so much for joining me and looking forward to our next discussion. Thank you, Karen. 